Uh, Luke chapter 1, uh, page 1026 in the church Bibles and 1591 in the large print. And I'm going to begin by carrying on uh, the story uh, that we were uh, reading, the true story uh, of uh, Mary, uh, the visit of the angel and visiting Elizabeth. And from verse 47, or 46 rather, Mary uh, sings a song. And we're going to look at this song from verses 46 uh, down to verse 55. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. This is God's word. Well, one of the ways that we know that Christmas is on the way is because you begin to hear Christmas music in the shops and on the television. Uh, and when uh, people start getting old and grumpy, they start saying things like, well, it begins in October. And being old and grumpy myself, I think they're, they're dead right. But music plays uh, a big part, doesn't it, in the, in the Christmas uh, celebrations. And carol services are always really well attended all over the country. Uh, in Cambridge at King's College, people camp outside uh, for their carol service for days and days in advance. Well, over the next uh, three morning services, including today, uh, we're going to examine the first and oldest Christmas songs that were ever sung. Uh, you won't hear these in the shops, I'm pretty sure. I'm even quite confident you won't hear these songs sung in the churches either. But they are recorded for us in Luke's Gospel as the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ is sung about by those who were there when these things happened. Uh, Luke was a doctor who decided to write what he describes in the first verses of his gospel as an orderly account for his friend Theophilus. He wrote this account, he says, so that you may know the certainty of these things. So Luke here is writing a factual account of the life of Jesus Christ. This isn't a fairy story. This isn't a mythical tale with an interesting meaning. Luke was a historian who made investigations, who spoke to eyewitnesses, and he writes down his history for us, which is what is recorded in what we have here as Luke's gospel. 
And it's in Luke's gospel that we find four songs sung by those who are in some way involved in the birth of Jesus Christ. There is the song of Mary, which we've just read. There is the song of Zechariah. There is the song of the angels. And there is the song of Simeon. Now, we may make mention at some point of the angels who sung glory to God in the highest. But the three sermons we're going to look at will be on the other longer hymns of praise. And this hymn of Mary is most commonly known as the Magnificat. And that is because that's the Latin word for magnify, which is translated in the NIV as, as glorify. And what this song uh, does is praises God for his wondrous acts on behalf of humble people. It praises God for his wonderful acts on behalf of humble people. But before we get to the song itself, it's worth just thinking a moment for, uh, about what goes on before Mary bursts out in song. Why is she reacting in this way? Well, earlier when Andrew read for us, we saw how Mary was visited by the angel Gabriel to be told she's going to have a baby. And Mary wondered how could this be because she was a virgin. No doubt this was a terrifying time for Mary. Uh, she was not married and no one would believe that the baby was not the result of sexual immorality. Her fiancé Joseph certainly would know this baby was not his. But Gabriel reassures her that God was going to do this by explaining how Elizabeth, her elderly relative, who was well past the age of childbearing and had been unable to conceive when she was the age of childbearing, Elizabeth also was going to give birth. That was to give reassurance to Mary that what the angel said to her was true. And in verse 38, Mary is caused by this news to say, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Mary shows humility here by submitting to the plan of God. And the one person who would definitely believe Mary's story was Elizabeth. Elizabeth had also been visited by an angel and was going to give birth to a miracle baby. It wasn't the same kind of miracle. Elizabeth's uh, baby was conceived in the natural way, but it was a miracle nonetheless. And when Mary explained to Elizabeth about the child and about the, the visit of the angel, and no doubt they had a little uh, pregnant mum uh, kind of little uh, party and discussion going on there, Elizabeth was thrilled at what Mary had said. In fact, as it happens, the baby in Elizabeth's womb was so happy, it leapt for joy. I don't quite know how that all, all worked. Uh, I like to think that when my wife was pregnant and I came near, the baby moved and it was leaping for joy. But I can't say that that was true. But here, Elizabeth knew this baby is leaping for joy in my womb because of what you, Mary, are saying to me. This was a meeting of great joy. Elizabeth recognized that in Mary's womb was God coming as a man. Notice in verse 43 how she says this. But why am I, this is Elizabeth, so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? 
Elizabeth recognized that in Mary's womb was the Lord. And Elizabeth twice calls Mary blessed. Now this would no doubt have been a great relief for Mary. Almost everybody else would have reacted, wouldn't they, with scorn to her story. But she comes to Elizabeth and Elizabeth says, you are blessed, Mary. And Mary, at this meeting of joy, is also caught up in the realization she's going to give birth to the Son of God. The one who had been promised to save his people for centuries before. And she, as we read in verse 45, believes God. She says, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. She believes what God has said is true in his word. And believing God's word to be true causes her then to burst out in praise. And that should be true for us as well. If we read the scriptures and we realize what God says is true, and we take those truths to our hearts, then we too will, if we, as we read in the Psalms, have a new song in our hearts, a hymn of praise to our God. We realize that God's plan of salvation is true, and so we praise God. That's what's going on here. That's why Mary has a song of praise. And in this passage, there's lots that we can learn from it, but the result should be this. We want to praise God for the truths we believe in his word. It's important to note in this song how Mary uses the Old Testament scriptures in her praise. Uh, the passage has many similarities with Hannah's song in 1 Samuel chapter 2, where she praised God. Why? Because she'd been granted a child after she had been unable to conceive. Mary also uses uh, lots of words and phrases from the Psalms. In other words, Mary knew her Bible, and it was the Bible that grounded what she was saying and the praise that she gives. She meditates on what's happened to her. She meditates on the scriptures and it bursts forth in praise. And that's how we, we praise God. We, we turn the scriptures back to him in praise. So let's look at the song uh, in more detail. Notice in verse 46 and 47 how Mary is praising the Lord. Uh, her soul glorifies the Lord. To, to glorify means to declare as great. So it's not Mary who's making the Lord great. Rather, Mary is declaring God as great from her innermost being, from her soul. This song is not one she has to learn. This one is a song that flows from within her. Similarly, her spirit, which parallels her soul in this song, rejoices in God, her saviour. Take note, by the way, that Mary has a saviour. She needed deliverance from her sin, just like everybody else. The doctrine of, of Mary's perfection is, is false. She was a sinner, used by God in a remarkable way, but God is nevertheless her saviour. And she knows that in giving birth to the Son of God, she's giving birth to the one who would bring God's salvation. The song is basically an expression of amazement that she should be the one to bring this Savior into the world. She sings of a truth that is truly praiseworthy, that God 
acts wondrously in, for, and through the humble. In this hymn, humility sometimes refers to someone's circumstances, like being in poverty as Mary was. But ultimately, humility points to a spiritual reality. The humble are defined as those who come under God, who put themselves under him, under his rule, under his authority. And so what we see here are four reasons why Mary praises God for his acts on behalf of the humble. Four reasons. And the first reason is this. The humble are called to his mind. At the beginning of verse 48, we read the word for. Notice that there. The reason why Mary uh, has her soul magnified the Lord and her spirit rejoice. She says, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. The word mindful there means that God has called to mind or remembered. And what he's been mindful of is Mary's humble state. Now, Mary was in the line of King David. She was a member, if you like, of a royal household, but it didn't look like that she was a member of a royal household. Mary was a teenage girl from a poor family. There was nothing external that merited her being chosen as the one to bear the Messiah. She was in David's line, but there would have been others as well. Mary was in a humble state. Another way of saying it in other translations use this phrase is a low estate. Now that was partly social, but it refers also to her spiritual state. She was a sinner. She needed a savior. And she is amazed that she is chosen to be the one to bear the savior of the world. Notice at the end of verse 48 how she says, all generations will call me blessed. Now people will say she's blessed because she's been chosen to be the one to be the mother of the Messiah. This verse doesn't mean Mary's blessed because she's anything uh, special in terms of being perfect. It means she's blessed because she has a high honor to give birth to the Messiah. Notice this in verse 49. Again, this verse begins with for. Why is it that every generation will call her blessed? For the mighty one has done great things for me. Now this refers to the miracle of the conception of Jesus. In, look at verse 35, just go back up a little bit, and we read how this was to happen. The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So her pregnancy is the, the Mighty One doing great things for her. It was nothing Mary did. It was certainly nothing Joseph did. She is blessed here by a mighty miracle. And she is amazed, astonished, that this should happen to her. Uh, just a, a, an illustration of this. Uh, my wife Paula is one of four children uh, that are, are, born, are, are an American family who lived in the UK. And they never used to have any money and so very rarely got to go back to the United States. But one time when they did go back... Their flight was overbooked, and so they didn't get on the flight and were delayed. 
And as a consequence, they were put up in a really fancy uh, hotel. They were given a bunch of money, and they were bumped up to what was called at the time ambassador class on the plane. Now, Paula and her family, uh, it's safe to say, were not used to fancy hotels, and they were not used to ambassador class. They couldn't believe where they ended up, and they could use the money that they received to buy a new van to fit them all in. They didn't do anything to merit being in ambassador class. And whilst not all generations called them blessed, the others on the plane probably looked at them and thought, what are you doing here? The other example of this kind of thing happening is uh, for those of us who are married, I'm sure if you, uh, as a husband, remember your wedding day, when you turn around and you see your bride coming down the aisle, how many of you guys, uh, like me, look, look down the aisle and think, I don't believe I've managed this. How on earth am I being married to this woman? It's an amazing thing, isn't it? And Mary's in that kind of situation, but multiplied by an infinite amount. She's been chosen by God for this role of bearing the Messiah. And she is just in awe. She just praises God. She, she just almost can't believe that this has happened to her. Now, Mary's situation is unique in terms of her role in God's redemption plan. No one else is going to have her role. But for each of us who are Christians... To be chosen by God, to be in his kingdom, to be used in his kingdom, is a truth for which our soul should magnify the Lord and our spirit rejoice in God our Savior, shouldn't it? For we also are in a humble state. We were, we were lost in our trespasses and sins. We were on our way to hell, and deservedly so. But God was mindful of us. And he called us to respond to his gift of grace by believing that Jesus has died for our sins, that he's risen from the dead, and calls us to repent and turn to him. And now we can be called children of God. Isn't that astonishing? That God is mindful of us, that we can be his children. Loved ones, we need to be telling one another and telling ourselves the gospel over and over and over again. We need to remember that God has called us, not because we deserve it. You know, God, God is not just really lucky and fortunate to have you in his kingdom. We're there because of his grace. He has called us because he is a God of amazing grace. And we've just been singing uh, a hymn that has these lines, which sums it up so lovely. In that crowded congregation, I, astonished, find my place, cleansed and clothed and by adoption, made a child of God by grace. Now, of course, that looks forward to heaven in the song, but even now, we should praise God because he is mindful of our humble estate. And forever, we're going to be telling each other how blessed we are because of what God has done for us. Mary praises God, and so should we, because the humble are called to his mind. The second reason Mary praises God is linked to the first. She praises because the humble are extended his mercy. In verse 50, she speaks of God's mercy being extended 
to those who fear him. Uh, Those who fear God are those who, who humble themselves under his authority, who live under his good rule. Those who submit themselves to him are extended his mercy. His mercy here refers to his kindness or, or his goodwill. And God, God will give his saving help to those who submit to him. Now, this doesn't mean that you have to perfectly obey all of God's rules to be saved. We can never do that. We can try and submit all we like to, to all of the law, but we, we can never fulfill it perfectly. But what it does mean is that we have to submit to what he says about how we can be saved from our sins, namely by believing that he provides the only way of salvation through Jesus Christ. We recognize our lowest state, that we are sinners in need of a God who is a savior. We cry out to him for help, admitting that we cannot save ourselves. And when we do that, God extends his mercy to us. And this mercy extends from generation to generation. It's not just Mary. It's not just the time that she lived. It's for all people of all time, for all ages. All of us can have the mercy of God extended to you when we humbly submit to him. And the mercy of God to us means we can be given eternal life in heaven. Let me ask you this, are you one of those who fear God? Have you submitted to him? If you've not been, well then today is a perfect time for you to submit to him by repenting of your sin and turning to Jesus Christ, giving your life to him. Considering God's mercy should cause us to sing out in praise of his name, shouldn't it? Psalm 89 and verse 1 says, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known his faithfulness for all generations. Over this uh, Christmas season, take time to meditate on the mercies of God given through Jesus Christ and sing of them and tell them to others. Uh, One writer on this uh, um, says these words, which I found really challenging and helpful. He says, let us rise from our beds every morning with a deep conviction that we are debtors and that every day we have more mercy than we deserve. Well, thirdly, Mary praises God because the humble are lifted by his might. Mary has spoken of the mighty one in verse 49, but now she goes on to speak, to praise him for the mighty one's mighty deeds. In verse 51, she speaks of the arm of God. This is a a, a biblical way of describing the powerful acts of God. It's in the Old Testament uh, a lot. And in keeping with the theme of humility, the powerful acts she praises God for are those where he turns the tables of the world's view of power and success. He humbles the proud and exalts the humble. Notice in verse 51, 
how he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. Inmost thoughts here refers to the heart, the inner being, the the worldview or way of thinking. This speaks of those who, rather than fear God, think that they rule the world, or at least they think they rule their own little world, usually thinking it's a much bigger world than it really is. But people can shake their fists at God, they, they can speak out against God, but one day, every one of us and everyone who shakes their fist at God will stand before God. And those who are proud in their inmost being will be scattered at the judgment to hell. Now, we are proud in our inmost thoughts when we think we can live without God. And perhaps that would describe some of you here this morning. Perhaps you think that you can live without God. Well, let me give you two problems with this inmost thought. Number one, it's a delusion. The very fact that you are even breathing is because God allows it. You can think all you like that God isn't there, but you can only even think that because he's allowing you the capacity to even think. God is showing you mercy right now just by the fact that you are even here. So it's a delusion. Number two, it is temporary. Because the mercy God is giving you is only for a limited time. And then you're going to face God. And unless you repent, you will be scattered. In verses 52 and 53, we see actually two examples of pride that cause people not to fear God. First, there is the example of the rulers. The rulers. Rulers are so often proud, aren't they, in their inmost thoughts. But here we read how God brings them down from their thrones. Throughout history, we have seen example after example of powerful rulers whose empires crumble and fall. Sometimes we have uh, the, the experience of seeing a ruler fall before they die. Uh, in our country, that happens every so often when a prime minister is booted out of office. And in our country, one of the most amazing things that happens is as soon as the new prime minister is elected, the old one has to get out of number 10 straight away. I mean, they, when a general election happens, I don't know if you're aware of this, but they have to pack just in case. So they're ready to get out. But sometimes a ruler or a tyrant can rule until the day they die. But on that day, they are brought down off of their thrones. Uh, In the Bible, we see a wonderful example of this truth with King Nebuchadnezzar, the powerful ruler of the Babylonian Empire, who one moment was saying how great his kingdom is that he has built. And the next moment, God brings him down from his throne and he's crawling about on the grass, behaving like an animal. Uh, Another uh, verse from another song that we haven't sung today, uh, but is helpful with this, says this, the tyrants of this age strut briefly on the stage. Their sentence has been passed. We stand unharmed at last. A word from God 
destroys them. Proud, arrogant rulers, whether they be monarchs, presidents, prime ministers, they rule for a short period of time, they lose their power. But notice the end of verse 52. In contrast to the bringing down of the rulers, it says, but God has lifted up the humble. The humble are those that recognize that however powerful they may be on this earth, there is a greater ruler who rules over all, who is the Lord, the mighty one. And when a believer gets to heaven, they will be in a much higher position than the mightiest tyrant who has ever ruled on this earth without God. They are lifted up to the very throne room of heaven before God himself. Again, not because they deserve it, but because of God's mercy shown to them as they have submitted to him. Now, I'm sure um, none of you here this morning uh, are a, a ruler of a great nation. But all of us are rulers in some sphere, aren't we? Whether that be in your workplace, in your community, in your home. Let me tell you now, God will bring you down from your so-called throne unless you humble yourself under him so that he will lift you up. The second example of pride is the rich in verse 53. In the ancient world, in addition to rulers, the rich were seen as blessed by the gods. If you were rich, you have made it. Now Mary was not rich, and this contributed to her being seen as having a humble or low estate. But don't we have the same notion today? A lot of people are valued or value themselves according to their riches, don't they? But as with the powerful ruler, God overturns this value system. In verse 53, it was the hungry who are filled with good things. The hungry normally are those, of course, who are not filled. The rich, surely, are the ones who are filled. But here, the hungry are filled and the rich are sent away empty. The point here is this. Often, we trust in our riches to fulfill us, to give us what we need. Riches can make us proud because we think that we've made it. And we think that, well, other people look up to us because of their riches, and, and that may even be true. But actually, it is God who gives us what we truly need, and we should be hungry for him. For those who trust in their riches, they will be sent away empty and have nothing in the end. You're not going to take any of those riches with you. So you might as well use them for God. Uh, Luke uh, has this as the very common theme, actually, in his gospel. Uh, later on, we see the story of the, the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus was poor and was shown no mercy by the rich man, but it was Lazarus who ended up with everything and the rich man who was in hell. Again, not because he was rich, but because he had no mercy. He didn't use his riches for God. Luke has the account of the rich fool who trusted in his riches. And he was looking forward to gaining more riches. And he, he couldn't have enough barns big enough to fit all of his riches in. So he thought, I'll build bigger barns. But then suddenly he died. And he was called to the judgment. 
and none of his riches helped him at all. And it's sad, isn't it, that Christmas has become so much about the riches of this world, about the stuff we can get, instead of the riches that we have received through the one whose birth we celebrate. If you're trusting in your riches, you're putting in your trust into something that in the end will leave you empty. Put your trust in the eternal filling that comes from knowing and following Jesus Christ. Now, for those here this morning who are Christians, let me say this, that there is always a subtle temptation to take our trust from Jesus and to put it into money and power. They are temptations for us. But we fight those temptations with delegating power to others and distributing money with generosity and always giving glory to God. So Mary praises God because she knows that it is not the proud who will have the victory in the end, but those like her who humble themselves under God's mighty hand. Well, finally, the last part of the song, the humble are promised his Messiah. So Mary praises God. Mary's been speaking in praise for what God has done for her, what God has done for others in all generations, but here she speaks of what God has done for Israel. But notice in verse 54 that Israel is called God's servant. The phrase servant here again reminds us that Israel, God's people, are his servants. It reminds us of their place. They are under God in humility. Israel are not chosen because they are a, a, a nation who always uh, obey God. Quite the opposite. Israel were a nation who are God's people who always rebelled against God. But she praises God because despite their rebellion, he has helped them remembering to be merciful. Remembering here isn't uh, God not being forgetful. Again, it is calling to his mind. God is choosing to give, keep his promises to Israel, even though they don't deserve it. They, they, they rejected God. They rebelled against him over and over again. They, they suffered the consequences of their sin by going into exile. But God, in his mercy, has helped them. He made a promise to Abraham, which we read of him in verse 55, and his descendants that they would be a blessing to all nations. And God's mercy in not allowing Israel to be destroyed like they deserve to be, shows that this promise was still being kept. And now, through Mary, that promise to her ancestors was going to be fulfilled as she carried God's help, God's mercy, in her womb. Jesus who has come from Israel, has come to bless all nations with being the saviour from their sins. And so now you don't have to join Israel or be born an Israelite to receive God's mercy. God's people are his servants from all nations as we humbly submit to his rule. The humble are promised his Messiah wherever you've come from. And to those who submit to him, 
we benefit from the promise-keeping God. And we know that God has promised not just that he would come the first time, but God has promised that Jesus is coming again. And we know that those who are his humble people will be blessed by the promise of his second coming when he returns and will be with him forever. As the great uh, verse in Once in Royal David City says, not in that poor lowly stable with the oxen standing by. No, we will see him but in heaven, set at God's right hand on high, when like stars his children crowned all in white shall be around. As Jesus was the humble man lifted to the highest place, so we too, his humble people, who are saved by him, will join him there. Mary realized that these truths from God's word were a cause for great rejoicing. And they are, aren't they? I pray that these truths will also make all of our hearts rejoice. That our souls would glorify the Lord and our spirits rejoice in God our Savior. How can these truths not cause you to rejoice? Whether you have to wear a mask or not, they are a cause for us to sing, aren't they? And rejoice. Our soul glorifies the Lord. Our spirit rejoices in God our Savior because he has been mindful to us. He has extended his mercy. He has lifted us by his might. And he has promised us that he will come again and we will be with him forever. Brothers and sisters, this Christmas season, we may have heard these truths hundreds of times. Don't let them grow old. Meditate on them that like Mary, you'll rejoice. We're going to do that now as we sing. Our final uh, hymn uh, speaks of the birth of the humble servant, lifted to the highest place, Jesus Christ. So as we sing these words, let's use these words to praise God in our innermost being. Let's stand as we sing from the squalor of a borrowed stable.
us close with prayer. Father God, we want to give you glory. We want to give you glory because you are worthy. We want to give you glory because of the great things that you've done for us. Our soul does glorify you, O Lord, and our spirit rejoices in God, our Savior. We pray that you would seal these truths that we have spoken of today in our hearts, that they would overflow over this Christmas season in praise of your name. We love you, Lord. We thank you for what you've done. And we pray that many others would also come to know of the wonderful salvation that comes through the one whose birth we celebrate at this time of year. And in the one whose name we pray. Amen. Shepherds watch their flocks at night, attending lowly sheep. Now within a cattle shed, a much stranger watch they keep. Today a Savior has been born, and He is Christ the Lord.